Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I'm your host, Callie, and this week's episode is one of my favorite of all time themes besides Glitch in the Matrix. It is Reddit stories from Backwoods Creepy and generally creepy encounters and let's not meet experiences that happen in the woods. With that being said, and without further ado, let's get into it. So this happened about six years ago. It's a story I've told many times and will continue to tell because honestly, it was probably the closest I've ever been to getting killed, or if not killed, then kidnapped or something really horrible. The summer of 2012, me and my best friend were hitchhiking around Eastern Europe with no money, like a bunch of crusty punk bums. We were 19 at the time and really bought into that lifestyle, over it now. Without boring with unnecessary details, we were making our way towards Poland from the Baltics and happened to hitch a lift into Lithuania from the Latvian border. The dude who picked us up was really friendly, but he was ultimately going a different direction and so dropped us off at this spot that he told us was really good for hitching. He dropped us off and it was a large concrete area by the side of a road in the middle of the Lithuanian countryside probably designed for truckers to pull in and out or take a nap or whatever. On one side of the road was endless cornfields and the other side there were some woods. It was pretty late evening and there was no traffic anywhere so we decided to call it a night, crossed the road towards the edge of the woods and got out our sleeping bags, food, etc. by the small dirt mound near the road by the woods. And as we were unwinding, we heard a woman screaming from across the road. We immediately ran back across to see what the fuck was going on and we could just about make out two men running away in the cornfields. We stood there in shock and a few moments later, a car up the road pulled out of the cornfields and sped off into the distance. We stood there in shock wondering what to do. Then a few moments later, a policeman in a car showed up. He asked us questions in Lithuanian and we explained to him in English that we were just hitchhikers. And he said to us, this is a very dangerous place, you shouldn't be here. And then he proceeded to roll up the window and drive back the way he came. We were pretty spooked at this point, so we crossed the road back to our bags by the dirt mound on the edge of the woods. My friend had a shitty little rusty pen knife and we agreed to stay vigilant. It was nighttime by this point and after a while, nothing happened. We were still a little bit scared and couldn't really sleep. Then, in the dead of night, in the woods next to us, we could hear footsteps cracking the twigs and branches of the woods. They slowly got closer and closer towards us and eventually they stopped. We heard incessant whispering for a few moments and then heard the footsteps and twig snapping move slowly away from us. Neither of us needed to say anything to each other. We both knew what had happened. 
At this point, we were fucking petrified. And my friend took out a shitty pin knife and we just lay there, shitting it, waiting. I remember saying to him, see you in hell, Connor. And him saying it back to me. An hour or two passed and we were still laying there, taking turns with the knife in case we got attacked from different angles, not knowing what was going to happen. After a while, nothing happened and the exhaustion kicked in and we passed out. Suddenly, we were abruptly awakened early in the morning, sunny at this point, by the sound of a car really aggressively pulling up on the road by the mound we were sleeping behind. We heard car doors slam and footsteps stomping towards us really quickly. As we were laying down and behind a mound, we couldn't see them, but we could just feel they were inches away from us. I'll never forget the fear that I felt at that moment. My whole body froze and I simply thought, this is it. They stopped and we heard a really angry argument in Lithuanian between two men. It stopped after what felt like an eternity, but in reality, it was probably 30 to 60 seconds. They stomped back to the car and drove off. I almost vomited with relief. We immediately got up, packed our bags and started walking as far as fucking possible from that area and started hitchhiking. We're not sure what we were privy to that night. We don't think it was rape or else there would have been more screams. We think it was probably murder. The perpetrators were watching us from the woods, whispering. They were seconds away from either killing us or kidnapping us the next morning. This happened six years ago and it's still so surreal thinking that this happened and that we got away unscathed. For all we know, we could have been a pile of bones in some unknown Lithuanian forest. Twisted Lithuanian rednecks. Let's never, ever meet. I'd also like to add as well, before all of this happened, there was a weird precursor. We were on a Latvian-Lithuanian border in a small village sitting on a wall. Before walking to that wall, we walked past a police car with what looked like two very heavily asleep police officers, almost dead even, and some random guy shouting at them through the window. We thought it was strange and sat down on the wall when we watched the event from a distance before proceeding to roll some cigarettes. We both looked up again about 20 seconds later and they had all just vanished. There was no sight of them anywhere and it was this long stretch of road both ways. We both thought it was weird as fuck. We hitched a lift from that wall and it was a talking point right up until our calamity happened a few hours later. It kind of set the tone for the night. I know it's an irrelevant detail overall, but I felt I should mention it because even though we weren't spooked, we were weirded out, I guess in a harmless way, right up until shit got real. In 2018, my partner and I drove up to the National Forest in Oregon for a day hike in the early summer. The area was somewhat remote, but nothing too isolated. Hiking is huge in the Pacific Northwest, so there are plenty of people on these trails at any given time, especially during peak season. Because of this, we chose a less popular trail in the hopes of getting some alone time. It was an approximately six mile out and back moderate difficult hike with the waterfall at the end. It followed a river and didn't intersect with any other trails. Simple enough, right? 
We were both experienced hikers in good physical condition. So we had no reason to think we needed anything but day packs with a couple of liters of water and sandwiches. Getting back before dark should have been a piece of cake. We set out sometime after noon. At first, we took it slow and meandered around the riverbank for a few minutes. I found a cool animal bone and we mused over what it might be. It was clearly a vertebra from a large mammal, so we guessed it was probably a deer bone. Because I'm a little morbid and like collecting things of that nature, I put it in my pack. That might not have anything to do with what happened next, but I feel that I should mention it since it was out of the ordinary. The hike to the waterfall was beautiful. We passed a few other people on the way back to the trailhead, but for the most part, we had the place to ourselves. We stopped a few times to look at wildlife or take photos of flowers. I was tracking our progress on my Fitbit, so I always knew how many miles we'd traveled and how much time we had before sunset. We reached the waterfall at about 3.2 miles, which matched what the map had said. I paused my watch and we settled on a large boulder to rest and eat our lunch. Another young couple was there with their dog and we said hello and then minded our own business. Here's where everything went wrong. As we packed up our stuff and prepared to leave, my partner, Michael, slipped off the boulder and twisted his ankle badly. The other couple heard his surprise scream as he splashed into the water, so they rushed over to help. The three of us hauled him back to dry land and assessed the injury. None of us were doctors, but we thought it was his brain. The swelling had already begun and Michael said the pain was serious. He could barely stand. Upon realizing this, the male half of the couple started backing away and seemed anxious to leave. I asked him if he could go get help, but he didn't respond. Neither did his wife. They both just turned around and started booking it up the trail with the dog trotting behind them. I called out to them in frustration, but they didn't look back. Needless to say, we didn't have cell phone service that deep in the woods, so we couldn't contact anyone else. We had to hike back. It'll be okay, I said to Michael. It's only three miles. You can do this. We shifted the water bottles and our modest amount of gear into my pack so he wouldn't have to carry anything and made decent progress. I was still tracking the hike on my Fitbit. After about two miles, Michael ran out of steam and we rested again. I told him to lean on me to take the weight off of his injured ankle. Even though I'm a head shorter than him, it seemed to help. We're almost there, I said, just one more mile. Despite the setback, we were in pretty high spirits. The sun was still up and the woods were still beautiful. We made light of our predicament. Michael joked that he can't do anything without getting hurt or breaking something, and I comforted him. We both thought the ordeal was nearly over. Eventually, I realized that we'd been walking longer than expected. I assumed it only felt that way because we were moving at a slower pace, but when I checked my watch and saw that we'd gone farther than a mile, I started to worry. We were at 6.6 miles total. That meant the walk back to the trailhead was longer than the walk to the waterfall. That couldn't be right, but I figured I'd made a mistake at some point. Maybe I hadn't started the tracker until we'd already traveled a ways at the beginning. Regardless, the parking lot 
had to be around the next curve in the trail. But it wasn't. We went another half a mile or so before stopping to assess the situation. Over seven miles, and we still weren't back. What the hell? I checked the map of our hike on the Fitbit app and saw that there weren't any gaps. It was a straight line from beginning to end, with the line doubled back on itself, indicating that we were on the same route. But where was the trailhead? We talked it over and concluded that it had been a glitch. Michael was adamant that we hadn't passed the trailhead and we couldn't have taken a wrong turn because there were no other trails. Plus, the scenery was all familiar. We saw things we remembered passing on our way to the waterfall. I mean, it was definitely the same trail and well-maintained too. A big wide dirt track that followed the river and didn't veer off into the undergrowth. Losing the trail was impossible. At that point, we started to feel demoralized. What could we do except keep going? Our phone still didn't have service. Michael was in a lot of pain and struggled to put weight on his sprained ankle. It was twice the size of his other ankle. He was sweating. I was sweating. The whole thing started to feel like a nightmare. When we went another mile and still didn't reach the trailhead, we panicked. Night falls quickly in the forest and we had little daylight left. We were almost out of water, had no rain gear or other food, and the only flashlights were the ones on our phones. Of course, we cursed ourselves for not bringing more supplies, but we were only supposed to be out there for a few hours. It was just a short day hike. We had no idea how it could have gone so wrong. Out of desperation, I yelled for help. We'd seen no people since that strange couple had abandoned us near the waterfall, but I was sure that we had to be close to the parking lot. That didn't mean there was anyone there, but we were both so freaked out. I was willing to make a fool of myself if it meant rescue. To our dismay, nobody answered. We were alone. In an attempt to get a grip, we reasoned that maybe we really had passed the trailhead we started at. Maybe we were so focused on keeping Michael off of his bad foot that we'd simply missed it and were hiking toward the next trailhead. We were pretty sure that wasn't the case, but it was the only explanation that made sense. We were definitely still on the same trail, and though we couldn't be certain, it seemed like the landscape had changed. We no longer recognized any of the landmarks except the river, and that seemed to support our theory that we'd gone too far. We knew we weren't walking in circles. That wasn't possible. Should we turn back? We mulled that over for a few minutes. If we were wrong, backtracking would guarantee spending the night in the woods. Michael couldn't deal with that ankle forever. We decided to press onward. I'm, I'm not crazy, right? I asked. That initial hike was only three miles. We went three miles to the waterfall. Yeah, Michael agreed. The entire hike was supposed to be a little over six miles out and back. We walked a lot further than that. We should have gotten back a long time ago. I don't understand what's happening. When night fell, we picked up the pace. Michael stopped leaning on me and limping down the trail as fast as he could. He later said adrenaline dulled the pain of his injury and gave him motivation to continue. That part of Oregon is mountain lion country and I'd just read about a lion attack a few weeks prior to our hike. 
being caught out there in the dark was the absolute last thing we wanted, but there was nothing we could do about it. We were scared. Michael shined his phone light on the path ahead to make sure we didn't lose our footing, and I shined mine at the trees, scanning for cat eyes. I was crying. Fitbit said we'd hiked nine total miles. After 9.5 miles, we finally saw the sign for the trailhead and scrambled toward it. Relief didn't completely wash over me, though, because I expected we'd have to either hitchhike back to where we started or trudge along the side of the road for a few miles more. There was simply no way this could be the trailhead. It was three miles past where it should have been. As we climbed the short set of steps back to the parking lot, sweaty, thirsty, exhausted, and completely unnerved, I hoped to see a car. My prayers were answered, but it was my car. We were on the same trailhead. For a moment, Michael and I stared in shock. Our fear and misery were replaced by sheer confusion and we just stood there. Then a twig snapped somewhere in the woods behind us and broke the spell. We hurried across the parking lot towards the car and in those few seconds, I felt intense dread. The best way I can describe it is the feeling you get in a nightmare when something is pursuing you and you're trying to run away but moving in slow motion Like your legs just won't cooperate and you know the thing chasing you is going to catch up. This is the only time in my life I've ever felt that way outside of a dream. We managed to pile into the vehicle and peel out of the lot. I was shaking. Michael was rambling about time distortion and dehydration and how we must have lost our bearings somehow. We got out of the National Forest and onto the highway and it was a while before we encountered any other cars. I didn't fully relax until we made it back to civilization. Neither of us can figure out exactly what we experienced. Michael was on crutches for months following that incident, and his ankle has never been the same. I still have the bone I found, but I keep it in a box because it gives me bad vibes. When we go hiking these days, we stick to the crowded trails. Whatever happened that day, we did not want it to ever happen again. This story is unfortunately true. I grew up in the Sierra Nevadas. I wasn't big on camping, but spent a good chunk of my childhood weekends hiking with family and friends. The summer that I was 16, about 10 years ago now, my cousin C had come back from her first year of college and her boyfriend Jay was visiting. Jay wanted to go on a hike with lake views and C and I knew just the one. It was one of our favorites. The three of us set off on this hike. The trail isn't the easiest to find, but it's really popular with locals because of the view and general lack of tourists. We saw a couple of other hikers, some with dogs. It's an in and out trail that takes about two to three hours to the top and two to three hours back down. There are some smaller trails that branch off. We make it to the top in good time and enjoy our lunches overlooking the lake. After about an hour, we hear a scream in the distance, specifically a mountain lion scream. And if you've ever heard of a mountain lion scream, 
it's really unnerving. It sounds a bit like a very loud, terrified woman screaming. This is not good because when a mountain lion screams, it's part of a mating ritual. That means there are multiple mountain lions and close. The bears in the Sierras are softies, but the mountain lions will attack you. They'll attack your pets. They've even been known to attack bikers. Jay was really freaked out. C and I were wary, but it wasn't the first time we'd heard mountain lions and we had both seen them before. There was also an incident where as kids, we laid out some expensive steak in my backyard in hopes of luring a mountain lion to take pictures of it. It did not work and my mother was very unhappy about the steaks. So C and I tell Jay that we need to pack it up and get back down the mountain. About 40 minutes into the hike back, Jay realized that he forgot his phone at the lookout in his rush to leave. Of course. We decided that C and Jay would hike back up to retrieve his phone and I would stay there on the trail to warn any other potential hikers that there are lions in the area. This is obviously not ideal for any of us, but seemed like the best choice at the time. I found the nice rock to sit on by the trail and was going through the pictures we took. C and Jay had been gone for about 50 minutes when I heard the scream again. And it's hard to tell, but I think it's closer than before. I start to freak out because being alone is not good if a lion is nearby. About 20 minutes after that, I hear the scream again. And there is now zero doubt it, it's closer. Logically, I know that lions don't scream when hunting. They're quiet. If a lion was hunting me, I wouldn't know it. That knowledge did not make me less scared. A couple of minutes after that, I hear it again, extremely close by. I'm looking around and trying to find the best place for me to stand, back covered in case of the worst. And suddenly I see something out of the corner of my eye, standing still, 20 feet down the trail, a couple of feet off of it, is a man. He's completely naked. He's filthy, he's skinny, and he's just standing there looking at me. If you don't know where you're going, it's easy to get lost in the woods around there. And it doesn't take long being alone, lacking food and water in the wilderness to make people a little disoriented, a little crazy. My immediate response is that this man is probably a lost hiker and judging by how dirty he was, he'd been lost a long time. He needs help. I started walking towards him, asking if he's okay. And I suddenly get this feeling of wrongness. I don't know how else to describe it, but the hair stood up on my neck. And I stopped in my tracks, maybe 15 feet away now, and had the overwhelming urge to run. It seemed wrong. I mean, he looked wrong in a way I can't quite articulate. Instead of wanting to help, I'm now scared. I ask again if he's okay. He looks back at me, then opens his mouth wide and screams. Not a normal scream. He screamed so loudly. Worse, it sounded just like the mountain lion, and it occurred to me that we were probably hearing him the whole time. It was the single most terrifying thing that I have ever witnessed. I started screaming too, Why was he just standing there screaming? Do I run? Do I get out the bear mace? Suddenly, he 
closed his mouth, turned around and ran into the woods very quickly. He disappeared into the trees, but the feeling of wrongness was still with me. I considered bolting down the trail, but decided to wait for CNJ, who luckily arrived within 10 or 15 minutes. I told them what happened, and we decided to call it into the rangers when we got service. I've always been left with the unsettling question. Did I see a mentally ill, lost hiker who really needed my help? Or did I see something else? Something not human, mimicking the call of a mountain lion and stalking us down the mountain? In the summer of 2012, I took a job as an expedition canoe guide on the Boundary Waters in northern Minnesota, Quetico, southern Ontario. These are a massive wilderness area of lakes and land. I was working for the Boy Scouts and we were based on Moose Lake on the U.S. side. My job was to facilitate a fun and safe multi-day trip anywhere from seven to 12 days out. Most of that summer was typical But one expedition in particular still haunts me as a result of what happened to us over the course of a few days. Here is the account in full. My crew was on the younger side. There were nine of us total, the maximum allowed in a group per our permit. And there were six scouts, two adult advisors or scoutmasters, and myself. They had wanted to do a 200 miler, but didn't have the physical ability, so we had to amend our route. They were bummed out, so I decided to take them up to the waterfall called Eddie Falls. It's pretty flat up there, so a waterfall is somewhat rare, but that decision would end up putting us in the path of something. We visited the falls and camped near to it, And that evening, I had the boys working on camp setup while the advisors worked on fire for dinner. I was collecting firewood in a big tangle of down trees, brush, and bramble. And I could faintly hear the falls off to my left when, out of nowhere, I hear the most unearthly scream or roar I've ever heard. It stopped me dead in my tracks and I was frozen. The second scream was closer, and the third, closer. I didn't see anything due to the thickness of the brush, but whatever this was, it was coming directly at me. By the fourth scream, I could feel it in my chest. I got nauseous and involuntarily barked at it. I've never before or since heard that sound come out of my body. The fifth scream almost physically hurt but it snapped me back to reality and I ran back to camp. My crew had heard it too, but what am I to tell them? I claimed it was a boar. There's no boar up there and the advisors knew I was lying, but didn't call my bluff. After dinner, they went to their tents and I retired to my hammock about 50 yards from camp. As a rule, I always set my hammock at my head height, so about six feet up. I would use a tarp over my body and head to keep the morning dew off and the morning mosquitoes at bay. But the tarp wasn't strung up. That's important. 
It was just loosely over me. It must have been around 3 or 4 a.m. when I was awakened by what sounded to me like a woman sobbing. Not an outright cry, but a sob. At the same time, I'm hearing something walk through the thick brush down past my feet. So I listen, totally still and quiet, as it crosses into camp. I could hear the change from brush to granite rock, but could still hear its heavy footfalls as it walked right through camp and on towards me. At this point, the tarp is still over my head, so I can't see a thing, and I don't know what to do. In no time, it was standing right next to me. I could hear the breathing, loud and congested sounding. I could smell the musk. I could feel its enormous presence only inches from my body, just standing there. Time to make a decision. I suddenly threw the tarp off my head, and as I did this, my left hand touched this thing in the chest. It was dark, but I could make out briefly a very large upright figure. The hair on it was long and coarse. The musculature was impressive. Bodybuilder status pectoral is what I touched. It all happened in a second, and as soon as my hand made contact, it bolted back into the brush with immense speed for such thick debris. By the time I got my headlamp on, it was gone. My crew had slept through it all, so I read until the sun came up and decided not to mention it. The next day, we moved on a few miles towards base camp and camped on a small island. Campsites on the U.S. side are designated by a fire pit and a grumper, which is a fiberglass toilet over a deep hole. We were just arriving and it was evening. One of the adult advisors needed to visit the grumper, so he walks towards it. About two minutes later, we hear him yelling and he came running back to camp, still pulling his pants up and said that he'd just seen a gorilla run in front of him. I asked if maybe it was a bear and he said, absolutely not, that he'd hunted bear for years and it was not no bear. It was a monkey and it was about nine feet tall. At this height estimate, I'm imagining being back in my hammock. If I touched the chest and I was about six feet off the ground, that puts the head close to nine feet up. Was it stalking us? Was there more than one? The boys are now scared, time to mitigate, and I suggest a night paddle. No one's sleeping anymore anyway, so we packed back up and set out around 8 p.m. and paddled by headlamp for several miles. My plan was to get back onto Moose Lake and camp very near to base so we could be the first crew off the water the following day. Moose Lake is connected to Newfoundland Lake by a small pinch and a channel of water that's not very deep or wide. There's dark woods on both sides, and we were right in the middle of the pinch when a rock the size of a baseball came flying out of the woods on the right side and narrowly missed the boat of the canoe I was steering. There's no cliff here. This thing was forcefully thrown at us from the tree line. At this, we paddled like hell. We paddled to the center of Moose Lake, tied all three canoes together, and we just sat out there all night. With the sunrise, we paddled to base camp and ended our expedition. They did not want to talk about what happened, and I was okay with that. They left for Oklahoma the next day, 
After they left, I went to work a shift in the canoe yard helping crews offload. My buddy Justin got back that day from a trip in the same area we'd been in, Bear Loop, and I was helping him put a boat on the rack and I noticed he had a distinct look, almost like a thousand yard stare. I asked him how his trip went and he said it was all good until they hit Knife Lake, Newfoundland Lake. He said they were being messed with for two nights on Knife and then had a rock thrown at them in the newfound pinch. Sure enough, for a solid two weeks after that, crews kept coming back from that area with very similar stories. One night, there was a crowd of us guides in the staff lodge swapping trail stories, and these encounters came up one after another. Screams, rocks, sightings of apes. Then, back from the corner of the room, I hear a chuckle. It's one of the old veteran guides who'd been there for over a decade. All he said was, it's about time somebody else seen one. I asked how long he'd known they were there. He said he's been encountering them for 10 years. Then he said, they talked to me. This shocked me. Like a language? I asked. No, they communicate telepathically. The less you acknowledge them, the less they'll bother you. But they can read you, and they like it when you're afraid. It's like a game to them. What happened out there is still a big question in my mind. I've always been open to the idea of Sasquatch. Their existence was never a huge stretch for me. But what really sticks with me is the way that veteran guide spoke of their intelligence and parapsychological abilities that they can read human emotion as clear as pages in a book, that they know our species better than we know ourselves. Growing up, I spent every summer vacation at my grandparents' house in rural Tennessee. When I say rural, I mean, their town was literally a cluster of homes with a singular one-lane road as the only way in and out. 45 minutes from the nearest freeway on ramp, 30 minutes to a grocery store, and an hour and a half to a Sam's Club or Costco. My grandparents still live there and make that drive monthly. Fuck that. What I'm trying to say is this is about as remote as it gets. I'd play outside for hours and hours and maybe only see two or three cars. It's a lot more built up now, but it was nice while it lasted. It was around 11.30 p.m. and me and my dad couldn't sleep because it was an especially hot and muggy night. We decided to go for a drive through the hilly, curvy back roads that I absolutely loved and still do. There was a scenic access site that was just a clearing overlooking a cliff about 15 minutes further into the woods from my grandparents' house. It wasn't very well known. It was down a narrow two-track line with a couple of dilapidated trailers lining it every one-fourth mile, roughly. Due to the isolation and lack of any real police presence, this area was lousy with meth during this time. And there was a local rumor of some inbred cult up in the woods. Keep in mind that it was midnight by the time we got to the parking lot for the overlook, which was just a gravel pit. 
My dad has always had a bit of an intuition and asked me if I really wanted to get out of the car. That made me hesitant myself, but I saw the amount of lightning bugs that were out and catching them was my favorite pastime. Armed with a flashlight in an old Tupperware container with some holes drilled in it, we set off down the path to the cliff. We immediately heard noises in the woods, heavy footsteps, I mean, way too heavy for a deer. And there wasn't really a bear presence in this area. The woods were unusually quiet besides that. We both thought we saw someone hide behind a tree out of the corner of our eyes. And I didn't realize the he saw it too until we brought it up in the car and vice versa. Here's where it gets freaky. Once we made it down the path to the cliff, we saw the outline of a man. He was about my dad's height, 5'10", but he was thin as a rail. I mean, he couldn't have weighed more than 120 pounds. Here's the thing. He wasn't admiring the beautiful moonlit scenery over the cliff. He was standing perpendicular to it, just staring off into the trees, perfectly still. My dad slightly nudged me in the direction of our car. And as I started walking back, he shined the flashlight on the man. As soon as the light shone on the man, my dad gasped and dropped the flashlight before literally picking me up and sprinting full force back to our car. And as we peeled out, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. His face looked like a goddamn melted candle, he said after a few minutes of silence, after we pulled out onto the main road. Apparently, the man had no nose, just like two nostril holes in his face. The way he was described sounded like he was a burn victim. As we brought it up to my grandmother the next day at breakfast, she immediately turned pale. Apparently, there was a meth lab explosion up in the hills a few months prior, and they were unable to rebuild the building. So they resorted to making their product in the woods and are very defensive, even homicidal, about their stash. I live in a thickly wooded area with dense undergrowth in Washington State. I love it. I love nature, I love hiking, and I absolutely love the sky at night. You can see satellites. There are a few houses nearby, although for the most part, it's nothing but unlit, twisting road for miles. My boyfriend and I have a tradition. Once a month on the clearest nights, we go out and walk maybe a couple hundred yards down the side of the road to this one trail that leads up to a mostly abandoned railroad and station. And when I say station, I'm talking a big shack with three open walls and some benches. And we lay out on the tracks and look at the stars. Last night I had him over. Before he got there, I had my bedroom window open and was laying down and heard rustling in the forest behind my house. Now this isn't unusual. We have lots of deer out here, so I ignored it. It got louder and closer and continued for a good 15 minutes before stopping. Deer are not that loud, unless they're running, and this was all right beyond my window. It was odd, but I'm not afraid of much, and 
There aren't cougars, wolves, or bears ever spotted here. The worst we have are coyotes, and unless you feed them, they'll generally tuck tail and run out of sight from a person. Also, even if there was something more out there, my window is on the second floor, split-level home, and there's a good 12-foot drop before the land slopes up to the sort of ridge, then beyond that is forest. The ridge is level with my window and about 10 feet away, horizontally. Anyway, I put that out of my mind and listened to some music while waiting for Tom to get here. His friend dropped him off and we went out, but because of my current condition, we only went to the clearing near the end of my gravel drive. He said he heard some major rustling on the walk-up, but probably just animals. We go out with flashlights and there's a long, consistent trip trail down about a third of the entire drive and out over the road. Like as though a leaky car had pulled into my driveway or something wet was dragged down it. Tom's friend only pulled to the side of the road to drop him off. Might be unrelated, but I still don't have an explanation from what I know, considering I padlock a steel cable across the entrance of the drive when not coming or going. The same rustling in the trees on the same side of the driveway as the house started up almost as soon as we got to the end of the drive. Just the wind, right? Animals? Totally. Footsteps. Fucking heavy, thumping footfalls from the other side of the road. Bipedal. Human. Entirely different direction of the other sounds. We both shine our lights across toward it and see a person disappear into the brush, Tom yells at him something like, if you come near us, I'll fucking kill you. And we very quickly decide we are going indoors. We start back towards the house and another fucking person sprints out from behind my house then across the drive, all of the 20 feet in front of us. He went in the direction of a creek that divides my property from the neighbors. Keep in mind, it is now past midnight and we are beyond freaked out. We went inside and locked every door and window and wake up my roommate, actual owner of the house, and he called into the nearest police station and reported a suspicious person or people trespassing on my property at night. I have yet to hear any follow-up on that. One thing is for sure. I am not going out after dark unless absolutely necessary. Almost a year ago, I was an opener at a resort, clocking in before 5 a.m. each day. The resort is located inside of an affluent neighborhood in a very wealthy town suburb. Employees had to park in one of the two parking lots at either ends of the property, and the lot I chose was adjacent to a long and windy road outside the resort, which led to the rest of the neighborhood. The road and resort were separated by a short, range of brush and trees that no one ever walked through. I'd arrived one morning per usual and put the car into park with my headlights still on. The lights in the lot weren't ever on in the morning since no one else really showed up before 6 a.m. when the sun was not out. And it was usually always dark at the start of my walk. Save for security, I was one of the first employees to arrive on the property each morning and was usually completely alone in this particular parking lot at this time. 
and this morning didn't seem any different. I had my hand literally at my keys, my brain in the process to turn my car off, and I noticed a young girl, maybe like 14 or 15 years old, coming scampering. Her body language was the exact definition, run with quick light steps, especially through fear or excitement, through the span of trees that separates the resort from the outside road. She was directly in front of my car and my headlights illuminated a clear view of her in the pitch black. She looked like she was in high school, had long blonde hair and was wearing a jacket with pajamas, maybe. Like she just walked out of a house. One thing about her that bothered me was that she wouldn't stop laughing and smiling. I couldn't hear her laughing from outside the car, but she was visually giggling at something I wasn't aware of or couldn't see. And it was so unnatural. She occasionally glanced behind her as if someone else were there waiting away from my headlights. She then waved at me like it were a normal gesture at this time and then immediately ran to my passenger side door. This all happened in a matter of seconds and I wasn't really sure what was even happening besides my anxiety spiking. I know I simultaneously yanked the aux from my phone to shut whatever song had been playing off while grabbing for the lock button. I remember feeling panic for never remembering if it's up or down to lock when the girl began pulling violently and incessantly on the door handle on the passenger side. I realized because I didn't turn my car off, it had stayed locked. She began pounding on the window and I was screaming at the top of my lungs for her to leave before pressing on my horn. I could see her laughing outside like this were some type of game as if I were a silly friend not letting her in on a joke. After a few seconds, she stopped the pounding and trying to opening my car door. Her face fell flat like I disappointed her and she started to walk away from my car back the way she came. She waved at me again before squeezing through the trees out of the view of my headlights. This whole encounter confused me almost as much as it scared me. Most people I told the story just talked it up to her being on drugs, but that narrative hasn't felt right to me despite her behavior. Maybe she was just being an extremely out of touch teenager whose parents need a firmer grip on her. My first thought was possibly human trafficking, but I'm not sure if that would fit the scenario as I'm not the most well-versed on the subject. But I told someone when I made it to the LP, but they didn't seem to care much. I didn't call the police and I regret that. I'll never get out of my brain though how fucking off the feeling was watching a stranger, seemingly alone, pop out from the trees in the darkness laughing, then try to violently enter your car in an empty parking lot. I do think the possibility of someone else being present the whole time is a lot more scary. And I wonder who else was there and where exactly. A group of friends and myself rented a place on the lake just for a fun-filled drunken weekend. We were all in our young to mid-twenties and it was supposed to be just a big party. For the most part, that's what it was. The Friday night and Saturday morning, we 
pretty much went all out, having a blast on the water and just doing fun, stupid stuff. Well, naturally, when Saturday afternoon rolled around, we were all so dead from going all out that we decided it would just be a night of no drinking, maybe a little weed smoking by some of us, and just kind of having a chill evening and night. That's what it was, relaxed. So 9 p.m. rolls around, and about eight of us were inside the house and five outside. The house was a two-story with the second-story deck back porch, and it was surrounded by the woods, and then down through the woods, you would then hit the lake. I'll mention that we had already experienced some weird vibes from the locals when we first arrived into town, mostly just backcountry old-timers that I assumed were leering and irritated because we were a bunch of college-aged kids looking to have a good time. But the town and the lake were large, so it's not like anyone knew where we were staying. Anyways, three of my friends were on the upstairs back porch, and my other friend and I were downstairs outside just talking on a little old table near the woods. I mean, it was otherwise just a really nice night. My friend and I were just getting lost in conversation, and all of a sudden, there was this weird feeling that encompassed us. Like an unnerving physical experience that came from the woods behind us. It was so strong, we both kind of quieted down, and then out of nowhere, this loud chanting abruptly came from the woods. I have no idea how far away it was because of the way the lake is set up. I'm pretty sure the voices carried up through the forest. It sounded like a cult chanting away, and all of the voices were male. I mean, they were loud and perfectly in sync. I think we were frozen for all of about 20 seconds before I couldn't contain myself and darted towards the house with her following me. I don't know how to explain the feeling that came with that chanting, but it was almost evil. Like just something so powerfully uninviting. I was shaking by the time we got up to the second story and ran out on the balcony with the other three friends. And one of them, my brother. By the time we got up there, the chanting was gone and naturally I asked, Did you guys hear that? In the most shaky, freaked out voice. They all had heard it, and not seconds later, the chanting began again. So the five of us are out there peering into the forest, listening to this chanting that would sometimes sound far away and then sound relatively close. All male voices in the weirdest language, or I don't even know what it was. Sounded like a strange, extreme church. Then followed the chanting, a loud bang, like someone hit a huge metal object, sounded, and then the worst part came. A man wailing, like in extreme pain wailing. All of my hair was up. It was the freakiest experience ever. My brother and I were staring at each other in a mixture of scared excitement and horror. The wailing stopped, and then it was back to the chanting, which eventually died out. I was so freaked out, I wanted to call the cops because whoever screamed had been in a lot of pain. That mixed with the weird chanting just made me immediately think of some terrible sacrifice going on. One friend tried to say it had been some drunk guys just messing around singing and being weird, but no way was that coming from some drunk guys. They were perfectly in sync. Then the bang and the wail of pain... And then all that weird tension and energy was just gone. Nope. I didn't call the cops, and I wish I would have. Honestly, the forest was so large, and since the lake house was 
up looking down at the woods and lake could have been coming from anywhere. It probably wasn't in our close proximity, but it was close enough to hear all of that perfectly. We went in and got some others, but by the time they came out, the chanting had stopped. Someone wanted to go explore and find out where it had been coming from, but obviously that was a stupid idea. After that, I was so ready to go home, I can't explain the relief of driving away from there the next morning. Even now, it gives me the worst feeling. Whatever that was, it felt so wrong and evil. I will never forget that moment. And I can only imagine it was some weird cult stuff. I grew up out in the wooded country in Illinois, on a short dead-end street 10-plus miles from a town. And there were seven houses in the area spread out on 2.5-acre wooded lots, or larger each. There were no large wild animals. There aren't bears or similarly large animals in the region. And people didn't meander there or show up lost. Actually, lost folks and large animals wandering around never happened in the 20 years that I lived there. So please keep that in mind. When I was a young girl in my early teens, I had a good guy friend a few years older than me who lived next door, Terry. Terry was allowed to go out with his friends much later than I was, and he would sometimes tromp over to my yard after getting home late and throw rocks from the gravel area outside my window to chat. My bed was right next to the window. I'd open the window and we'd whisper stories and generally talk for a bit. My second story window faced our backyard and his house was to the side. I could see his house from my window over the shrub trees and walking path to his driveway. I'd often know if he was out, the light was on over the side door entrance or already home, but the light was off. One time during the summer when my window was open, I heard a car in his driveway dropping him off. I was probably 14 years old and it was around midnight. I heard Terry get out of the car and was talking with his friends. Soon his friends pulled away and I softly called out as loud as I could without my parents waking, asking Terry to stop by for a chat. He didn't respond as he probably didn't hear me. Then I came up with the not so brilliant idea to sneak outside and scare him. I'd spent many years in the woods and learning how to blend in and be silent. As kids, we'd often sneak around and scare each other. So I silently sneaked down from the second floor and out my back garage door, which led to our backyard below my window, which led to Terry's house off the side through our gravel area. Then I went through a well-worn path through the woods about 25 feet long. My parents had put in a gravel pit around the back of the house, probably because nothing much grew due to the shade of the oak trees. There were 14-inch oak rounds set out as uneven stepping path in the gravel, and if you stepped off the rounds, the crunch of the gravel or rocks would give you away. I picked my way expertly and silently across the log rounds facing Terry's house. My eyes got accustomed to the dark and I didn't see him. Also at that time, I heard the door of his house close and the light going off signaling he went in, likely to bed. 
I waited a bit as I thought I saw something move in the woods between our house, but not on the path we'd always use. If you didn't use the path, there were wild rose and raspberry plants that had thorns and were painful to walk through if you weren't careful. So I thought it was odd that he'd be in the woods, but maybe he wanted to scare me like I was plotting to do to him. But I saw something human-sized and dark moving through the woods slow and pausing every once in a while like me. It was coming closer and I definitely saw it, but it was strange in that it wasn't walking directly to my window to talk. Therefore, I hunched down and waited in silence, wondering if I could still startle him. I still thought it was Terry and that he saw me sneak out and he was trying to scare me. I watched a dark outline of a human figure moving, but then I would lose sight of it in the foliage. It seemed to be stalking slowly and listening, checking every few feet while hiding. So I whispered after losing patience one last time for Terry, but he didn't answer. I got bored of hiding and crouching, so I quietly tippy-toed back to my garage door and went back inside silently, locking up as I went. I snuck back upstairs to my room above the area where I was just standing and crouching. My window was open and I definitely heard someone or something walking around the yard. I whispered again for Terry out of my window but got no answer. Then I heard someone or something fall and grunt, moan pretty loudly in the window, well, right below my window. It wasn't enough to wake my parents, but definitely loud enough I didn't mistake it, and it sent a shock of fear through me. If you aren't familiar with the window well, it's a semicircle hole connected to the house, dug about three to four feet deep and reinforced with metal. It allows a basement window to be put in below ground level and the hole lets some natural light in. There is no way Terry would have fallen in a window well. We'd been playing hide and seek in many outdoor games for years since we were young enough around the whole neighborhood. We knew everyone's window wells and house footprints, plus pass in the woods like the back of our hands. The grunt sounded humanish and not like an animal. It also pulled itself out quietly without a lot of thrashing. That's when I realized this was not a fun game and someone or something was out there and it wasn't Terry. I tried to look outside my window as best I could, but there was a screen on my windows to keep the bugs out. So I couldn't lean my head out the window to see the next wall of the house or directly below me. I then heard the crunch of rocks as whatever it was stepping in the noisy gravel. Again, Terry would know where the log rounds were and would not step in the gravel. He knew my parents were pretty strict and he was as good at being quiet as I was. Whatever it was stopped and I held my breath. I pretty much sat there with my face pressed against the screen two stories up for probably a half hour. It seemed like an hour, but I... I didn't have the patience back then to wait that long. I never heard it, him, her, leave, but I grew tired and eventually fell asleep on my bed that was next to the window. There are a few things that I'm certain of. It wasn't Terry. I asked him later and he said that he went to bed that night when he got home. 
He also would have no reason to lie. I'm pretty sure it wasn't one of our neighbors and I can't think of any reason a person would be there. We had few neighbors and only two other houses out of the seven had kids. Again, these seven houses were spread out in 2.5 plus acres per home. There weren't any big animals in the area. As wooded as the whole area was, we only had some deer, but they were hunted and didn't come close to homes. Plus our dogs scared them away. Stranger in the woods, let's not ever meet. This happened to me two years ago and it was the scariest experience of my life. So at the time, I was 20 and I was going hiking up a mountain in the UK called the Old Man Coniston. And it was a mountain I was very used to hiking as it's my favorite to hike. Now this mountain has history behind it as far back as the 1500s. It was an active slate mine and still has things there that show what used to be there. Now this day was normal for me. I was going to get my hiking clothes on and camping equipment on and go camp at the small lake near the summit of the mountain. I started my hike about 5.32 and would reach the small lake by 8 p.m. Everything was going good. There was a nice breeze and I was enjoying being out in nature until I came across the first slate mines where I felt the presence of being watched by someone. And wanting to get to the small lake, I continued not realizing I was being followed by three people. So I got to where I was camping and at this point it was getting dark and I had to use a head torch to see in front of me. Everything was good until I saw a little light in the distance that was around where the footpath of the mountain was. And one small light became more light And that's when I realized I wasn't alone on the mountain. And I started to pack up my things immediately. Once I was packed up, I listened out for any type of noise. Then out of nowhere, a torch came in my direction, but the person shining it in my direction didn't see me. And then I heard something which made me realize how much trouble I was in. One of the people who I would describe as a male in his mid-30s said, Find him and make sure you kill him. Hearing that made me physically sick, but I focused myself and slowly started to move around and get away. And just when I thought I was in the clear, I hear footsteps coming in my direction. That's when I decided to run and hope I find my way down. Luckily, I got down the mountain and got myself to safety. But looking back on it, I realized I was in more danger than I imagined at the time. This story takes place in North Italy back in 2014. It was early September, and a friend of mine proposed that we make a short hike in the woods near his town. And I obviously agreed since I love hiking in nature. 
We prepared our backpacks, grabbed some food, and drove to the place. My friend knew the area very well, so we didn't take a map. We didn't have flashlights either because we planned to return to the car in a few hours, and in early September, daylight lasts still pretty long. As we got deeper in the woods, we saw beautiful spots, small rivers, and a pair of caves we explored. They were pretty small and had only one chamber. We had lunch and proceeded to follow a trail in a deeply wooded area. After around half an hour, we were at that point about 50 minutes away from the car, since we stopped so many times to snap photos and explore areas. We arrived to a pretty large clearance. And here comes the scary part. In that clearance, there were a bunch of people normally dressed. They were simply talking and laughing, no satanic cults, dreadful chants, praying in circles or otherwise. Just super ordinary people like me and my friend talking with each other. They obviously saw us too, since the clearance had no trees or rocks to cover the view and we couldn't avoid that, since the trail, after a deep curve, immediately ends into the clearance, proceeding to the other side of it. We said, approaching them, since they were in the middle of the track, Hey there, what's up? They didn't answer back and started to stare at us without saying a single word. This obviously launched a huge red flag. We stopped too and I looked to my mate. He looked back at me concerned too. And we said again, hey, no answers. I started feeling uneasy, so we decided to return back to the car. But soon after, we realized that they were starting to follow us. As we noticed it, we yelled, why are you following us? Did we do something wrong? Yeah, we were young and dumb. And in those kinds of situations, is often run immediately the fuck out of there if people act this way. No answer. Obviously, we proceeded to walk faster and tried to get out of the trail. Another pretty dumb choice, but again, my friend knew the area well. But they were always around, like approximately 15 meters of distance. We started to panic, so we looked up to each other and agreed to get out of there quickly. As soon as we began running, we heard that they started to run too. This obviously made us freak out and we made our best to put more distance between us and them. Another thing that made me panic was the fact that we were, as said, around 40 minutes away from the car at that point in a very isolated area. So I thought that we were obviously hopeless. At a certain point, we were about half the way back and we started to notice that they weren't behind us anymore. We thought that maybe, and luckily we managed to make them lose our track. The area, as said, is heavily wooded and has plenty of slopes, so that's easy to get lost if you're not used to it. Plus, we took an off-trail way that my friend knew. We hid behind a thick bush and tried to listen. Silence. Not footsteps, nor voices. And keep in mind that even when they were following us, they didn't say a single word. So... We took our breath and managed to return to the car, trying our best to be as silent as possible. We jumped in the car and raced the fuck out of there, but it doesn't end here. As we left the woods on the main road, we saw coming from a secondary road another car behind us. They were following us again, and they've surely never lost our tracks while we were returning to the car. We are sure that they were the same people since one, they were basically 
tailgating us, and two, the area is very rarely visited, and there were absolutely zero cars except for my friend's one, and three, the car had no plates. We drove to my friend's town, avoiding to go to his house, taking every country road and every turn we made, they did as well. As we reached the town's ingress, they made a U-turn and returned back to the woods direction. We were fucking terrified, and we immediately called the police and informed the people that were in the small town square as they approached us since me and my friend were basically crying as we got out of the car to check the area out, but no evidence of activity came up in the following hours. They never ever showed up anymore in the following days, but we became paranoid for some weeks to even get out from our houses. And this is why I've taken a long break from hiking for about four years. I have no idea who they were and why in the fuck they acted like this, but that experience gave me PTSD. It has been terrifying. This is my first post and I don't know how to approach telling the story. So I apologize if this comes out unorganized. I've been going to therapy for about a month now and in receiving therapy, I've been revisiting past experiences and finally leaving them to rest. One of the memories is from when I was about eight. I was living in a rural area, my house facing a cemetery with more graves than the inhabitants of the town that I lived in. It was a quiet, peaceful place, a place of serene silence. About nine or 10 blocks from the north side of the cemetery is a secluded creek, which leads to the forest area. I had two very close friends. Sarah was my age and Daniel two years older than us. Daniel had two cousins, one of which was old enough to drive. One slow, hot Saturday afternoon, Danny's cousin suggested we go out, get ice cream, and drive up to the lake. We all got in the pickup truck, and Danny and his younger cousin riding in the bed, Sarah and I in the back seat. We passed into a small store, picking up ice cream, bottled water, and fruits. Ice cream in hand, windows rolled down, and classic rock from the radio had us hyped up for a swim. In the excitement, we made a wrong turn and found ourselves at a lesser-used path at the creek. The older cousin didn't feel like driving more, so we decided to take our things and wait our feet in the creek. We got out, and immediately I began to get this sinking, strange feeling. I could feel my hair stand up on end, slight discomfort washing over me, and we began to walk the path, and Danny chasing Sarah under the threat of getting a bug on her. I shook the feeling off, instead enjoying the crisp air and the sound of running water. After a good seven-minute walk, we reached a large rock where we settled our things and stepped into the creek. We splashed around, collected rocks that shone brilliantly under the water, oblivious to the world. I decided to walk up the rock because I had began to crave watermelon, and I sat down and it hit me. The uncomfortable wave washed over me an intense feeling that I could only describe as vulnerable. It was as if I was completely naked, being stripped from all form of innocence and safety. I could feel eyes on my back. So I decided to turn around, fear-stricken. At first, I couldn't see anything, 
couldn't tell why I had felt so paranoid. After looking for a while, I saw something shiny reflect light. It was brief and small, but I thought that maybe it was a littered bottle or a piece of trash. I could hear Dan calling for me to come back down, and I rushed my way down and joined the group. I told the older cousin that I spotted something weird, but that I was too scared to go check it out. He told me to ignore it. It was probably just trash. But even with that, I still felt like something was wrong. We climbed back up to the rock, hydrating and eating between chats and giggles. The older cousin had his back to the creek where he had a clear view of the same area I looked into. I'd nearly forgotten all about my feeling when he stopped. His smile was gone, face pale. Placing his bottle down, he immediately got up and began to shout, who's there? We all turned to look and saw someone shoot out of the weeds. It looked to be a man and he ran with something in his hand. He started saying that the man looked like he was taking pictures of us with one hand. All the blood drained from my head. The fear that I hadn't spotted the man first washing over me. How long had he been there and had he been following us since we started walking in? We packed up and left, trying to forget the uncomfortable experience. It wasn't until two weeks after that that where the town was buzzing over finding a dead body in the creek. We were friendly with the caretaker of the cemetery, which was a cemetery chosen for the burial of the dead body after he was identified. He told all of us that the victim was a teenager who was killed and dumped at the creek a week ago, leaving a disfigured, half-floated, rotting mess. The murderer was a creepy middle-aged man who lived closer to the forest area. His cabin-like house was searched and they found toys, collected missing children's clippings from newspapers and hundreds of pictures of families, which focused on kids and teenagers that hung out there after school. Sometimes I shudder at the thought that it was very possible that that was the same guy who was at the creek and that it could have been us. Creepy Creek guy. I hope to never meet you again. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Blame It on the Aliens. This is your reminder, if you like the show, to follow, hit the notification bell, subscribe, leave a five-star review, and make a comment in the review to support my show. If you have a friend of the genre, definitely share the show with them. If you haven't already followed me on social media, I'm on Instagram at Blame It On The Aliens. Podcast is my username. You can DM me any comments about the show, any stories you like, and share any of your own personal stories. You can also send in any personal stories you have to the email blameitonthealiens1 at gmail.com or you can click the link in the description to send in a voice memo. And I will be back next week with more creepy content.